on your notes, and it'll be up on the screen. So just follow along with me quietly. I'm going to read these verses to you. John 15, starting with verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean. Now, I want you to circle that verse there in your outline. You are already clean, because I'm going to come back to that here in a little bit. Because of the word I have spoken to you, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Now, this word remain simply means just to be connected, stay connected, like the branches to the vine. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Circle much fruit. God wants you to live a much fruit life, a very fruitful life. God wants you to have not just a little fruit in your life, but a lot of fruit in your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say a few things. He said, apart from him, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now that's a pretty amazing verse there. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. There's that phrase again, much fruit. God wants you to be a much fruit person. It says, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now I've told you this. So he's saying, I've told you all these things that I've just talked about so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He says, I want you to be joyful from what I've just told you. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Now, a lot, of a lot of Christians have this belief that all God cares about is my faith, my intellect. Do I believe in His Son? Do I believe that His Son died for my sins? Do I believe His Son resurrected? Do I believe that His Son is coming back? You know, that is true. God does care about your faith, but that's only half true. Because as this scripture demonstrates, God also expects Christians to be successful, to be fruitful. 
bearing fruit is one of the major themes in the New Testament. God says, I have made an investment in you. I created you. I saved you. I put my Holy Spirit in you. I planted my word in your heart. And I want to return on my investment. I want you to be very fruitful. And you've heard people say when you talk about the Bible that that's just your interpretation. Is if you can have an interpretation, I can have my own interpretation, and they can have their own interpretation. And that they're all equally valid. But that's not true. There's only one meaning, one interpretation to each verse. And if you don't know the rules of interpretation, you can be fooled by a cult or start to believe in a false doctrine. You can make the Bible say anything that you want to say if you take the verses out of context. Let me demonstrate. Let's look at John chapter 15, verse 6. This is one of the most misinterpreted scriptures uh, today. If you ignore the rules of interpretation, you're going to get this verse wrong. Verse 6. When you first read it, it sounds kind of scary. It says, If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, what people will usually say is something like this, that if you don't bear fruit and the fruit of another Christian is another Christian. So, in other words, if you don't bring people to Christ, that you're going to be thrown away, you're going to lose your salvation, you're going to burn in hell. Now, is that what this verse means? Absolutely not. That's a misinterpretation. It totally ignores the context and the rules of interpretation of Scripture. Here's the first principle of interpretation. Write it down there on your outline. You consider the historical context. You consider the historical context. Until you know the answers to the question of who, what, why, and when, you don't know what this verse means. You know, John uh, 15 is a passage on fruit bearing. And it's part of a four-part conversation that starts in John chapter 13 and then goes on to 14, 15, and 16. That's all said on the same evening to the same group of people. And what Jesus is going to talk about in this four-chapter conversation is the most important thing that he wants his disciples to understand before he's arrested, whipped, and crucified. So we're going to start with chapter 13. And we're going to walk through this in order to understand the meaning of the text that we're looking at today. So John chapter 13 and verse 1, it starts out with Jesus. He's taken his disciples to a private room. It's called the upper room. There they observe the Passover, which is uh, famously known now as the Last Supper, which is also where we get communion today. And in this intimate setting, with those he loves most, the Scriptures say this, it's not on your outline, and it's in verse 1. He now showed them the full extent of his love. So here we go. What he's going to say in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 is going to show the disciples the full extent of his love for them. Why is he doing this? Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to come. He wants to comfort them. He knows that they're going to be devastated by his death. They're going to be scared. They're going to be 
confused. They're going to be scattered. And he wants them to know that he loves them. So in this chapter, Jesus gives the disciples their first lesson about love by teaching them to serve one another. Jesus, the King of Kings, gets up from the table, lowers himself on his knees, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Jesus goes, guys, you're going to need to love each other. You're going to need to serve each other. You guys are going to need to hang in there with one another because I'm going to be leaving you. And while Jesus is washing Peter's feet, Jesus makes this statement. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath, he's only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean. Though not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. So Jesus goes, some of you are clean, but not all of you are clean. Because he knew Judas, the one who was going to betray him, was still there. But later in this chapter, Jesus goes, Judas, go ahead, go do whatever you got to go do. And Jesus leaves the room to go betray Jesus. Now this is important because if you remember over in chapter 15, we read it earlier, and I had you circle that phrase, you are all clean. Why is this important? Because Judas isn't with them anymore. The remaining conversations in chapters uh, 13 through 16 are with the 11 true disciples. These are the guys that have stuck with him through thick and thin. So in chapter 13, Jesus emphasizes the importance of loving each other. Then we come to chapter 14. This is the same conversation on the same night to the same group of guys. Judas has left the room. He knows they're going to go through some very difficult times. So he gives them some promises, four of them specifically. In the first 11 verses, he says, Guys, don't worry. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. Then in verses 12 through 14, he says, Don't worry, you can talk to me anytime in prayer. Then in verses 15 through 25, he says, Guys, don't worry because I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you and he's going to guide you, he's going to comfort you. And then in, verse, in the last few verses, 27 through 30, he says, Guys, don't worry because I'm going to give you the gift of peace. This is a different kind of peace, not the peace the world offers you. This is a peace that overcomes the world. And then at the end of chapter 14, the last verse, he says this, verse 31. Come now, let's leave this place. So Jesus and the 11 disciples, they leave the upper room. Jesus is going to take them to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to pray and he's going to be arrested. And as they're walking from the upper room to the garden, they have to walk through the vineyards of Jerusalem. And Jesus sees these vineyards, and he decides to give the disciples an object lesson. And that's where we start chapter 15. Well, Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch that stays connected to me is going to bear fruit. But if you get disconnected from me, 
you're not going to bear any fruit. He's saying, guys, you've got to stay connected to me. I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to be with you anymore. But you've got to stay connected. And he goes on and teaches them about bearing fruit. And then at the end of that object lesson, he says this in verse 11. I've told you this. He's saying, I've told you this. All these things about serving, about loving, about heaven, about prayer, about the Holy Spirit, about the gift of peace. I've told you all these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's called the context. Who is he talking to? His disciples. When did this take place? Right before Jesus is crucified. Why is he saying it? To give these guys encouragement. Now knowing the context now, what do you think the odds are that in verse 6, Jesus says, guys, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off from me. You're going to lose your salvation and you're going to burn in hell. And I've said all this so that your joy may be complete. I mean, that makes no sense at all. These 11 guys have been handpicked to carry on the ministry of Jesus after he resurrects and goes to heaven. This is a conversation about encouragement. These guys are going to be starting the New Testament church. And he wants them to not only be faithful, he wants these guys to be fruitful. So the first principle of interpretation is you have to look at the verses before and after the text that you're studying. Now the second principle, write this down on your outline. Number two, you must define the key words. If you're going to get the right meaning of a Bible verse, you've got to make sure you, that you understand what the words mean, not what you think they mean. Just because it means something somewhere else in the Bible doesn't mean it means that in the verse that you're studying. Context determines what it means. So when you look at a verse in the Bible and you see a word, you can't automatically assume like fire that that must mean hell. You know, in this particular passage, John 15, the word love and the word fruit is used nine times in 17 verses. You know, most of us can figure out what love means, but what does fruit mean? What is Jesus talking about? You know, if Jesus says bearing fruit is what brings glory to God and God expects me to have fruit in my life, then I better know what fruit is because fruitlessness gets burned up. And people say, I know what fruit is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Not automatically. You see, the word fruit is used 44 times in the New Testament and has at least 10 different meanings. For instance, in Matthew 3.8, the word fruit is used for the, for, uh, the fruit of repentance. In Romans 7.5, it talks about we bore fruit, fruit for death. He's talking about a sinful lifestyle. Colossians 1.6, the gospel is bearing fruit. This is new believers. And in Hebrews 13.15, it talks about the fruit of our lips, that when we praise God with our mouth, with our lips, that that bears fruit. So what is Jesus talking about when he says that we must bear fruit in this context? That brings up our third principle of interpretation. Number three, I must interpret unclear verses with clear ones. In this passage, 
As I read John 15, I find three characteristics of fruit. We find them in verse 4, verse 8, and verse 11. In verse 4 it says this, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Remember, remain means to stay connected. A branch that's disconnected from a tree is not going to bear any fruit. It's got to stay connected to bear fruit. And that's all Jesus is saying here. Be connected to me, and I'll be connected to you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the first thing I'd write down if I'm, if I'm doing a Bible study, and I'm trying to understand the meaning of the text, I would write down this observation. Bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. Now that's not an exaggeration. The text is real clear here. You know, bearing fruit is an inside job. You just can't tack it onto your life and pretend like that you're bearing fruit. You know, that would be like taking a barren tree with no leaves and tying a bunch of apples on it and saying, I have an apple tree. You know, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit flowing in you is what bears fruit. Remaining in Christ is what produces fruit. Verse 8 says this, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the second thing I write down is bearing fruit brings glory to God. How do we know that? Because that's what the verse says. It's real clear. It says that when I bear fruit, it brings glory to God. So I write that down. And then it says, I have told you this so that my, my, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus tells us that his motive for talking about bearing fruit is so that I can have joy in my life. So write that down. Bearing fruit will give me complete joy. So bearing fruit, however it is produced, or is produced, bearing fruit, whatever it is, is produced by remaining in Christ. It brings glory to God, and it will give me complete joy. So we learn three characteristics about fruit, but that still leaves us with the question, what is fruit? If I'm supposed to bear fruit, then I have to figure out what the fruit is. So how do I do that? Well, you go to the fourth principle. The fourth principle of interpretation is this. You have to look for the most obvious meaning. And this is the exact opposite of what a lot of people want to do. You know, they want to go find some deep, hidden secret in the Bible. You know, this is exactly what the History Channel and the Discovery Channel do, and a lot of name-it-and-claim-it pastors do. You know, they try to get you to believe that they found some secret code or some hidden meaning in the passage that's just going to change your life. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Why would God put secrets in the Bible? Why would God hide something from us so deep that we can't understand it, when the whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to us and to reveal His truth to us, not to conceal it. Here's another thing. Don't try to make every detail mean something. You know, when there's a story in the Bible, every detail doesn't have a spiritual meaning to it. It's just part of the story. You know, uh, a lot of Jesus' stories are called parables, and parables have one meaning to them. Not five, not ten, not twenty. 
they have one meaning to them. And that's what people do when they start saying the branch means this and the fire means this. You know, Jesus is talking to believers in John 15. He's talking about fruit bearing here. Remember, Jesus is walking through the vineyard, vineyard and he's making a point. The purpose of a fruit tree is to bear fruit. If it doesn't bear fruit, it's lost its purpose. So he says, what good is a fruitless tree? Absolutely nothing, unless you're going to use it for firewood. That's all he's saying here. So when we let the text speak for itself, it's very clear what the meaning of fruit is. So let's go back to the text. Let's look at three more things. Verse 7 in chapter 15 says this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Jesus is talking about prayer here. So I would write this down. Remaining in Christ produces answered prayers. That's no stretch of the verse. That's just what the verse says. Have you ever thought about the fact that prayer can do anything that God can do? But you say, yeah, Pastor Tom, I've asked for a lot of things, and I didn't get them. But let me tell you this. If God doesn't give you what you ask for, that means that he's got something better for you. Now, you may not think it's better, but you know, God is God, and you are not. So the next time you pray, I encourage you to pray this. God, I want you to give, give me what you think I need. Lord, your will be done in my life, not mine. You know, Lord, better what I need than I do. So the first point, remaining in Christ produces answered prayer. Second, John 14, 13. Remember, this is the same conversation on the same evening to the same 11 guys. I will do whatever you ask. There's that phrase again. In my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So what's the second thing we learn here? Answered prayer brings glory to God. He says, when you ask for something in my name, and I give it to you, that brings glory to the Father. You know, that's good. When I pray, and I ask for things, and God gives it to me, it shows the people around me how much God loves me. Now, one other verse, chapter 16, 24. Jesus says, guys, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. There's that phrase again. You have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Have you ever heard that phrase before, your joy will be complete? Yeah, we heard it over in chapter 15 when he was talking about fruit bearing. So I write down the third thing. Answered prayer gives me complete joy. Did you know that over 20 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to ask? Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. James says, you have not because you ask not. God never shuts his storehouse until you shut your mouth. When you don't pray, you don't cheat God. You cheat yourself out of all the fruit that God wants to produce in your life. Are you starting to see a little connection here? You know, bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. 
bearing fruit brings glory to God. And bearing fruit brings me complete joy. And answered prayers come from remaining in Christ. Answered prayer brings glory to God. And answered prayer gives me complete joy. You see the connection here? Just in case you missed it, Jesus mentions it one more time in verse 16. He says this. He ends his talk with this one last mention. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So here it is. Looking at the word, looking at the context, and interpreting the text by letting the text speak for itself, I want you to write this down. I bear fruit by asking in prayer. I bear fruit by asking in prayer. The fruit that God wants me to produce in my life is going to, be, is going to come from when I pray, because God knows best. Prayer is the root of all fruit. Prayer is the password, password to everything that God wants to do in your life. You know, much prayer, much fruit. Little prayer, little fruit. No prayer, no fruit. If you are not praying, then you have no fruit in your life. You're just hanging apples on a barren tree. All fruit comes through prayer. That's what Jesus is saying in John 15. And then chapter 17. I would encourage you to, to read that later. I love this because Jesus practices what he preaches. And he prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. And he prays for all those that will believe. So what do you need to pray about? What fruitless situation are you in right now that you need God to bless so that it will bear much fruit? You know, a Bible study isn't a Bible study until you get to the question, what am I going to do about it? That's the personal application. So I want to help you get started today. Uh, this week we have a memory verse, and it's in Matthew 7, 24, and I want you to read it with me. We're going to say the verse before and after the Scripture, because we want to put God's Word into our heart. So let's read this together. Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Matthew seven twenty four. Now, I want you to put what we've learned from John 15 into practice. That's what the Word just told us to do. So this week, I want you to ask yourself this question, what do I need to pray about this week so that I might bear fruit? And I want you to write your prayer out. I've left you some room there on your outline. So today, I want you to go home and think about that. What do I need to pray, pray about? What do I want God to bless so that it will bear much fruit in my life? And then write your prayer out and pray that prayer this week. Now, I'm going to close this in prayer. And I'm going to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed for the believers in, in John chapter 17. So uh, let's bow our heads so I can close this out. Father, we the ones who believe in you through the word pray that we will be one just as you are one with your son. May we also be in you so that the world may believe that you have sent Jesus Christ. Father, give us the glory you have given your Son, 
that we may be one as you and the Son are one. May we be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent Jesus Christ and have loved us even as you have loved your Son. Father, may we be where Jesus is so that we can see the glory you have given him before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, we know you. And we know that you have sent your Son. Jesus made you known to us, and we will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for the world may be known. And we ask that you, that your love will remain in us so that we may remain in Jesus. Now keep your heads bowed. Now maybe you're here today and you're saying to yourself, my life feels empty. It is fruitless. It has no purpose. And today I've realized from God's Word that I have never been connected to Jesus Christ. I don't even know what that's like. If that is you, then pray this prayer to the Father, just quietly in your heart. Father, today, I want to be connected to you. I have lived a life apart from you that has produced no fruit. Today, I'm making the decision to ask you to be in me so that I can be in you. I thank you for the promises of your Son. I thank you for the forgiveness that he offers me. I want to live the rest of my life on purpose, being a much-fruit person. Father, today I am making the decision to trust in you and to trust in the life that you want to give me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.